The text for the sermon this morning you find in Luke chapter 12, the verses 13 through 21. Luke 12, starting at verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then after the sermon, we will begin to respond by singing together Psalm 49, the stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, every day again we go through life and we do our daily work. This obviously takes place in a number of different areas. For some of us, it's in the office. For some, it's on the job site. For some, it's at home. For others, it's at school every day. And as we go about these daily tasks, we know that we are completely dependent on the Lord's blessing. For without that blessing, everything that we do in this life is completely done in vain. It says in Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You can do all the work that you want every day again, but without the blessing of God, all that work is in vain. But then the question that our text places before us this morning is what are we going to do if the Lord does bless our work as we ask of him? How will we use the wealth the gifts that God places in our lives. Now, I don't know the economic situation of the congregation here, whether there's a lot of difficulty finding work or whether there's an abundant amount of work, but it's no secret that overall in our province the last couple of years, there's been a very significant recession. The low oil prices have caused great unemployment If you go a little bit further north, you'll see that there are crops that are still lying in the field from last fall. They've been unable to be harvested because of the significant amount of rain and snow. And everything economically is so connected here in our province. If one area falters, then the others slow down as well. But whatever our situation may be, whether it's 
a good situation, like the situation in our text this morning, or if our own circumstances are quite different, the Lord has a very relevant message for each one of us. Whether we are blessed with abundant wealth or we're faced with financial uncertainty in our lives, this becomes a major focus for us. It becomes something that consumes our thoughts. It consumes every minute of our lives. And topics like wealth or money, they're never the easiest things to talk about in the first place. We generally like to be very private when it comes to our finances. But our text this morning helps us to see what our Savior teaches us about our possessions and how this relates to our life. And so this morning I bring you God's word under this theme. Christ teaches his followers about the relationship between life and possessions. And we'll see first that he teaches us contentment, and secondly, that he focuses our perspective. Now, our text seems to have a very abrupt beginning. In the verses before our text, the Lord had been instructing his disciples and also the crowds that surrounded him about how they should live during times of persecution. In the face of all the opposition that they would face, they needed to maintain their faith in Christ, persisting in it despite all the adversity, because in the end there was only so much that a mortal man could do to them. The people had to have a long-term future perspective, because turning their backs on Christ would have far worse effects than acknowledging Christ before all men. But then the focus very quickly shifts. Instead of persecution coming at the hand of others or from other outside influences, the focus becomes the struggle that takes place within the heart of a person. That's a theme that continues in the verses following our text, which we read earlier. And this new teaching moment starts with a certain man in the crowd interrupting Jesus with a question. As we read that, it seems very abrupt. It seems actually very rude that he would just come in and do this. But it's not unusual that such an event would happen. People would come to those who were respected teachers, those who knew the Old Testament laws, and they would ask for advice in different matters. Well, by this point in his ministry, Jesus was known to be someone who could give such advice. It's clear from the way in which this man addressed him. He respectfully called him teacher, Well, the man in the text had a problem. In the family dynamic, he was the younger brother, and he wanted his his share of the inheritance. But in order to get it, he needed someone to help him with the division, and he asks Jesus to be the judge or the arbitrator in this matter. When you think about the man's request, he's not looking for Jesus to help with the fair division of the inheritance. He's asking Jesus to serve as the mediator on his behalf. He's asking Jesus to help him get the larger portion of the inheritance. But Jesus refuses to get involved in that family dispute. He's noticed that behind this man's request, there's a very specific motive, and that's greed. And so he uses this moment as a teaching moment, not just for that one man, but for all those who are around him. He tells them in verse 15, 
Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. In other words, constantly be on guard against every kind of coveting. Never give up vigilance against it. The word that he uses for covetousness is a very descriptive word. You could also translate it as greed. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed that is the sense of always wanting more. Never being satisfied with what you have in life. It's one of those sinful desires that can never be sated. One commentator compared greed to being incredibly thirsty, but then drinking salt water to slake your thirst. It doesn't work that way. If you drink salt water, you're always going to get more thirsty. Well, so it is with greed. Once you have that thing that you've been longing for and that you've been seeking after, that'll never be enough. You're always going to want more and more. As the teacher says in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And so greed that love of money, that desire for possessions. It's one of the most dangerous temptations that draws us away from the Lord. With greed, we lose sight of the many blessings that God has already poured out upon us. With greed, it's impossible to be satisfied because we are consumed by the things that we don't have. And so when you think about greed as that constant drive to have more, You see it for what it really is. Greed is a type of slavery. And the Apostle Paul describes that life more in our reading from 1 Timothy 6. There in the verses 9 and 10 he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's where a life of greed will always end up. A life that is empty of any kind of satisfaction. Because a greedy person is never happy with what they have. Their life never feels complete And for some, it goes so far that they wander from the faith, seeking that thing that they do not yet have. Well, when a person is filled with such greed, they have actually lost sight of what life is really about. They've forgotten the things that are truly important in life. And that's what Christ says as well in our text. There in verse 15, he says, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life is about far more than what you own. Life is about far more than what you can see with your eyes. True life, and that is that life renewed by the Holy Spirit, that is found exclusively in the relationship that one has with the Lord. Because if you take God out of the picture, if you take Jesus Christ out of the picture, there is no actual life at all. Oh yes, one may be alive, they may exist here on this earth, but that life is rooted in the things that are fleeting. And that life has the goal of always pursuing more. 
Well, true life is found in Christ alone. And for the one who is consumed by greed, there's not only this misconception about what life really is, there's also a loss of identity. We start to identify ourselves by what we possess. And we actually lose sight of who we are in Christ. We lose sight of the fact that we have been freed from slavery to sin, including that slavery to greed, and that we have been made Christ's own possessions. Our lives aren't governed by thankfulness to God for every blessing we've received, but it's focused on the pursuit of more and more and more. And even though we may know in our mind that we belong to Christ, that knowledge eventually becomes secondary to our other pursuits. And so it's not a wonder that Scripture warns so strongly against the love of money. Because when your identity in Christ is secondary, you are in grave danger of forsaking your faith in the living God. God becomes second to money. Well, brothers and sisters, obviously that is a very dangerous thing and it is something that has eternal consequences. And that's why Paul urged Timothy to flee from greed, to flee from the love of money. And in 1 Timothy 6 verse 11, he encourages Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, gentleness, steadfastness. Well, if you look at that list, it's very easy to see that none of those things has anything to do with what we have here on earth. They all have to do with the relationship that we have with the Lord and how we live out of that relationship. And it is so important that this relationship be kept at the front and center of life. The fact that we belong to God, that we've been purchased by the precious blood of Christ, and that through faith in him we have been declared righteous before God. Brothers and sisters, when you put all those things together into one beautiful package, those are riches you cannot put an earthly value on. That is wealth that truly matters in this life. And it has an impact that goes far beyond our temporary existence on earth today. So if you want to be free from slavery to greed, being slaves of money or possessions, remember who you are in Christ. Remember and reflect on the fact that you have been ransomed by the blood of Christ and so you are free you are free from slavery to sin. You are free to pursue godliness. You're free to use your life. You're free to use your possessions in order to serve the Lord. It sounds very easy to say all this, but as we all know, it's much harder to put that lifestyle into practice. That's not only true when things are going well financially, but it also applies when we're having struggles. Because then we start to worry about how we're going to pay the bills. How are we going to avoid going deeper into debt? Our focus easily becomes how are we going to make everything work? Well, such worries and concerns are exactly what Christ addresses in the verses following our text. There he tells, tells his people not to be anxious about food or clothing 
Because life, life is more than food, and the body, while well, the body is far more than clothing. And he says, your heavenly father knows that you need those things. You, our heavenly father knows that we need those basic things in life. Instead, Christ teaches us that the opposite of greed or anxiety about worldly possessions is contentment. And that's the type of mindset that Christ is teaching us to have in our text when responding to the request of that man. Being content with what you've been given. Not always focused on adding more to your earthly possessions. That was a lesson not only for that man who came to Jesus with the request, that was a lesson for all time. Christ teaches us something very different than the attitude promoted by our culture today. We live in a world that encourages us to live the dream. It encourages us to surround ourselves with as much as we can possibly obtain. Well, the attitude that Christ teaches is significantly different. And perhaps Paul puts it best when he writes in 1 Timothy 6 verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Food and clothing... Nothing more, nothing less, simply the basics of life. That ought to be enough for us to be perfectly content. And looking at our lives, we can see that in general, the Lord has blessed us with far more than simply these basics. And yet still, we so often lose sight of being content here because the world and also our sinful nature, they push the idea that we actually deserve far more than that. Not only more, but we deserve far better than that. Well, Christ makes it clear in our text that what we really need is to be content with everything that God has given to us. We read in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. There are so many people out there who are looking for the way to be content in life. They're looking for the way to have a good life. Well, if you want a good life, if you want a blessed life, here is the divine formula right there. Being content with what you have in life. But even more, growing in that relationship with you, that you have with your Father in heaven. That's how you have a good life. It starts with recognizing that apart from God, we are dead. We have no true life at all. But through Christ's sacrifice and death, we have received abundant life, one that has been perfectly renewed. And when we recognize the magnitude of what Christ has accomplished for us, then everything in this world becomes secondary. Everything in this world becomes completely meaningless as we strive to thank the Lord for everything that we have in everything that we do. By placing our faith and trust in Christ, we are freed from that life of slavery to earthly desires. Living in simple trust in our Father, being faithful in our daily labors, we can rest assured that he will provide for us. It sounds so easy to say, almost too easy, perhaps even a bit naive. But that's what God has promised us in his word. And God does not lie. 
He may choose not to give us luxuries or extreme wealth. He may even decide in his sovereign wisdom to give us difficult times or difficult years. But if we are content with food and clothing, as Paul says, that's when we see just how richly God does indeed provide for us in every way. And that brings us to our second point. It's also clear from our text this morning that when it comes to our earthly possessions, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to ensure that we don't lose the real perspective we need to have on life. And so he continues by telling the parable of the rich farmer who in a certain year was blessed with a bumper crop. Well, first, as you read the story, there doesn't seem to be anything really wrong there. There's nothing dishonest about the way that this farmer comes across his wealth. The Lord simply blesses him with abundance in a certain year. But there is a very serious problem. And that problem lies in how the farmer reacted to his new abundance. That farmer doesn't show himself to be thankful to God in any way. He doesn't think about how he can use his crops or his wealth for the benefit and well-being of others or to serve the Lord. He only plans to go bigger. Even simply adding a barn or two wasn't enough for this farmer. Such was his desire to store up greater wealth. Tear down all the old barns, build bigger and newer barns. Well, we should be clear that our Savior is not condemning the idea of growing one's business. Far from it. What he is really teaching us here is using one's riches in a way that is focused only on the self. And that farmer's self-interest is clear throughout the entire parable. The man speaks often about what I will do. He speaks about my possessions. But the self-centered focus is made most clear in verse 19, where he says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Having received the abundant crop and storing it up for the foreseeable future, this man intends now to step back and just live life to the fullest. Again, the Lord is not saying that we cannot enjoy our lives, we cannot enjoy the gifts he's given to us. The problem was this is the only focus for that farmer. His entire life was built on wealth and riches that are temporary and will fade away. And he made his plans without any consideration of what the Lord may have planned for him. In almost every way possible, he was doing the exact opposite of what Christ says. Store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. And we can say, well, it's a parable. It's simply a story that Jesus is using to teach a point. It's not even necessarily a true story. But it is a story that's grounded in reality because our Savior knows human nature. He knows how we react when it comes to our wealth and when we're blessed with that abundance. And Paul would also teach about the rich in this present age as we read in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19. There he says things like they are not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. 
They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The Holy Spirit here through Paul instructs God's people to do the exact opposite of what that farmer in the parable did. What happens with riches is that they so easily take over our entire life. And then we forget just how temporary they are. And we forget that our life, it's but a breath. And that eventually the Lord will call us out of this world. At the time that happens, our treasures here on earth will not do anyone any good. And that's exactly what happens to the man in this parable as well. He's confronted by the Lord as we read in Luke 12, verse 20. And the first thing that God says to him is fool. The word that our Savior uses here is filled with contempt. It has Old Testament connections as well. In the translation of the Old Testament that many of the people of that day would have been using, it's the same word that we find in Psalm 14, verse 1. What we sang from that psalm earlier. And there that word is used to describe the man who says there is no God. It's a very fitting description for that man in our text. He made his plans as if there was no God. Or as if he himself were God. Well, Scripture speaks often about our plans and the need to factor God into those plans. The reality is we know so very little about how things will go for us in the future. And then to make our plans on the sole basis of what we know, that is a very subjective and a very dangerous thing to do. Yes, we need to be organized in life. We need to be making our plans. But then as James instructs in James 4 verse 15, we do all these things the Lord willing because we recognize God's sovereignty. We recognize his supreme control over everything, including everything that happens to us in our lives. But God isn't done speaking to this man in the parable. Because having called him out for the fool that he is, God reminds him and God reminds all people, including us here this morning, about the nature of life. Life, our very existence here on this world today, it is a gift of God. But because of sin, it is also something that God takes back. That's what he says to this fool in verse 20. This very night, your soul is required of you. Literally what God says here to this fool is your soul is required back from you. God is the one who gave him the gift of life in the first place. But God is also the one who sovereignly calls each person from this life and takes it back as well in his ordained time. And for any person, that time can come without warning. For the farmer in the parable, it happened this very night, as the text says. There was no chance for him to repent. There was no chance for him to amend his ways. That very night, God took him out of this life. 
Well, what a sobering reminder that is for each one of us. The fact that our lives are so fleeting, that we can be taken out of this world just like that, it's actually very shocking. But it helps us to put everything in the proper perspective as well. The man in the parable, all his treasure he had was here on earth. He'd been so busy storing up that treasure here on earth, he had not stored up for himself treasure in heaven. He had not lived in faith and obedience. He hadn't cared for others as the Lord required. He was not rich toward God in any way. And as Christ says in Luke 12 verse 34, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Focusing only on the temporary things of this temporary world, it had grave consequences. That farmer would lose his hope of eternal life. The parable that Jesus tells here is a very simple story, but it has a very pointed and a very urgent message, not only for the crowd of that day, but also for today. We don't know when God is going to call us out of this life. And so right now, today, we need to be busy, not worried so much about accumulating wealth in this world. We need to be busy storing up treasure in heaven. There's no time to put it off. We don't worry so much about building our own empires here on earth. Our focus should be on building the kingdom of God, letting that kingdom be built in our own lives as well. And that's a message that applies for all times. Right now, there may be struggles for some. And those struggles are very real. They cannot be easily dismissed or overlooked. They cause a lot of anxiety. They cause a lot of stress. For some, there may be abundance given in God's grace. But whatever our situation may be, as we go about our daily task, as we do our best to provide for our needs and the needs of our family, we always must keep that future perspective in mind. The fact that we are dust And to dust we will return. We don't know when God will call any one of us out of this life. We don't know when our Lord Jesus Christ will return, putting an end to this present age. But we do know that it will happen. And we pray that our Savior does come quickly. And therefore, brothers and sisters, as long as this world continues, as long as you get the chance to enjoy the life that God has given to you, the Lord calls us, each one of us, to do our work faithfully. To remember that everything we have is a blessing from God. To be used for his glory and also for the benefit and well-being of our neighbors. But first and foremost, we are called to store up treasure in heaven. Which means we are called to put our faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone as the way to be saved. And then we lift up our hearts on high, not focusing with our physical eyes on the wealth of this world around us, but we look with the eyes of faith, seeing the treasure that we have in the salvation and life that God has given us through his son. And then as we live out of that knowledge, we grow in riches toward God. We live each day in faith and obedience, continually growing in godliness, trusting that God will provide for us, and then also living in the confidence that one day Jesus Christ will return, and at that time he will take his harvest home, gathering his people into the eternal life he has prepared for them. Amen.